Now, let's turn in our Bibles to the Old Testament book of Ruth. Ruth chapter 4. And while you're turning there, just to remind you that next Sunday evening uh, will look slightly different in that there's a chance for us, uh, after we've thought about um, a big uh, truth from the Bible and what it means for everyday life, a chance for us to discuss uh, in small groups. Uh, you don't need to stay, uh, but hopefully be a helpful time uh, for us to work those uh, truths into our hearts and lives. Uh, so we're doing that for six weeks, uh, so everyone's very welcome to that. Uh, Ruth chapter 4, <coughs> as we finish this wonderful story. And meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here my friend and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Illinois. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me, so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. And this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself, I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life, and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, and who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. 
Nation, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz. Boaz, the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David. Amen. And that's how the book of Ruth ends. Uh, so this week, as I was reading, uh, especially the conclusion, I was thinking, how different would the book of Ruth look if Disney uh, did Ruth? We know that they've done uh, Moses. What if they did Ruth? Well, certainly they would focus on what we have in the, the story of Ruth. We've got this sort of boy meets girl. We've got the romantic angle. And what we've seen is that the story of Ruth is one of love across difference. Uh, Ruth is from Moab, a foreigner to Israel. Uh, you can imagine uh, Disney would like the rescue. We've spoken of Boaz as a redeemer. Uh, so the idea of a heroic rescue, perhaps. And certainly, Disney, they would all live happily ever after. Then we come to the true story, to the Bible story. We see that some of those things are there, but, but there's also some surprises. And so we have got a rescue, we have got a redeemer. Um, but there's not so much in the way of sort of dramatic rescue. It's taking place in a courtroom. And we do have a happily ever after, but there's a surprising focus to it because it's almost as if Ruth and Boaz kind of disappear out of shot and the focus is on Naomi and then it's on the nation of Israel. So we're given a happy ending, but it's a surprisingly big one because this story began in the dark days of the judges. And what we know about the days of the judges is that everybody was doing just whatever they wanted to do. So there was moral and, and spiritual religious chaos, and in the days of the judges were told that there was no king. So the hope at the end of the judges is, is that God would provide a king as the answer to the darkness. And, and how does Ruth end? Ruth ends with a family line that leads us to King David. So the hope in the story of Ruth comes, first of all, in that God provides a redeemer, this man called Boaz, but he also does that so as to provide for a king called David. And so we take the whole story of Ruth in view, and especially when we come to chapter 4 here, and we see again how this helps to highlight for us God's redeeming love. Uh, that this is much more than a happily ever after for Naomi or for Israel, that through Jesus, the Redeemer, who is also God's King, uh, there can be good news for each one of us. There is hope extended to um, a, a world that is lost in sin, that is knowing much of brokenness and confusion, just like the judges. We can find hope in the sending, in the promise of Jesus. So let's look at this story together for a little while, looking first of all at this first scene, uh, which takes place in the courtroom. Uh, so we can see a family rescue that's taking place in the first 12 verses here in the courtroom in Bethlehem. And um, I guess we, as, as a culture, we enjoy a good courtroom drama. Uh, we have some classics, we have 12 Magnumens, Kill a Mockingbird, we have our John Grishams, we like uh, courtroom dramas. Uh, this one takes place in Bethlehem, and it takes place at the city gates. Uh, so let's uh, dive into this, uh, and let's see first of all 
uh, the preparation uh, for uh, the courtroom. And we see in verse 1, if you have your Bibles, uh, Boaz goes up to the town gate. And the town gate in that day was uh, the courtroom of his day. That's where community business happened. So he deliberately goes to uh, the town gate. And then we see, again, God's guiding hand. Boaz has just sat down, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along. So just as we've seen all throughout the book of Ruth, God is guiding uh, action so that Boaz uh, might serve as redeemer. So what does uh, Boaz say? He says, come over here, my friend, and sit down. And that's not, let's sit down for for a cosy chat. This is sit down, let's transact some uh, legal business here. And we see that because the next thing that Boaz does, verse 2, is he calls 10 of the elders of the time uh, to sit. So they act, in, in that sense, that we think about a jury, they act as witnesses to all that's about to uh, unfold. So the preparations have been made, and now in verses 3 to 8, we can see it here, uh, that we've got a report of what happens in the court. And it's very much driven by the the, the words of Boaz. Uh, and so he says uh, to his friends, here's, here's the situation. Uh, there is uh, Naomi. Uh, she's part of your family. Uh, she is in poverty. Uh, she's needing to sell uh, the family lands. Uh, you're in the legal position uh, to buy it, to act as her protector. Uh, are you willing? So this unnamed actor, and I think he's deliberately unnamed because um, he serves as a contrast to Boaz, um, he's thinking, okay, I'm being asked to care for an old lady, and when she dies, I will receive her land, and I can add it to my inheritance. This sounds good. So he says, yes, I am willing. And at that stage, Boaz turns to him and says, well, there's one more uh, complicating factor. When you buy the land, you also... Uh, will inherit uh, a, a new wife, Ruth. And you have to raise a family with her in order to keep that land, uh, to keep the family line of Elimelech going. And at that stage, uh, this unnamed guardian or kinsman redeemer uh, said, no, no thank you, I can't do that. It seems like perhaps the, the, the cost is too high. I could have been the financial cost is too high. Care for Naomi, to care for Ruth. Perhaps he certainly thought that there was a risk of his estate being weakened. Uh, Boaz also deliberately draws attention to the fact that Ruth is from Moab. Perhaps he felt there was a risk to his status to uh, take to his own home someone who is from outside of Israel. Uh, but either way, uh, he says to Boaz, um, I-, I am not willing to be the redeemer. You do. And then we come to that unusual bit in verse uh, 7 and verse 8. We find that legal practice of the the sandal swap. Uh, Legal practices, I guess, adapt over time. And we discover that even here in the book of Ruth. This idea of taking off your sandal, giving it to the other party, say, uh, here's uh, a transfer that's now taking place and being formalised. They didn't do that in uh, the time of writing anymore. Uh, but with that uh, 
Sandal being taken and handed over, uh, the deal is now sealed. Uh, there is an agreement that Boaz is going to function as the kinsman redeemer. He is going to pay the price uh, to secure the land for Naomi. Uh, he's going to commit to Ruth and to raising a family with her. And that takes us to Boaz's response in verses 9 and 10. And what does he do? He asks the, the elders and all the people who were gathered to be witnesses. To be witnesses to those two realities. The one he'll act as the kinsman redeemer to secure the family land. But also that he's going to take Ruth as his wife. To preserve Marlon's family name. And then we get verses 11 and 12. Uh, the reaction in the courtroom. Uh, where they announce that they are uh, willing to be witnesses. And then what we see is that they, they seek blessing from Boaz. And one of the, one of the, the wonderful features of, of Boaz is that in every scene he is regarded as honourable. He is presented to us uh, as a man of faith. Uh, and so this crowd, the elders and others, um, they seek this blessing from Boaz. And it's got some significant features. And so they want that Ruth, this Moabite foreigner, would have as significant a part in the story of Israel as Rachel and Leah. Rachel and Leah, mothers of the the first twelve that became the twelve tribes of Israel. And may the Lord make the women who's coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. They seek a blessing and a legacy of faith on Boaz. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. And then in verse 12, um, it says, Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. And this is interesting. This is another one of those sorts of Old Testament legal details. Uh, Tamar, this woman Tamar, is the other famous, um, it's called a leveret marriage uh, in the Old Testament. So where there is um, a, a widow who dies without children and it's the responsibility of a family member, a brother, uh, to raise a family for the dead man. Uh, Tamar, Genesis 38, is the other famous story and there's, there's some parallels and then some significant differences. But we get to verse 12 and we get to the end of this courtroom scene. And what we discover is that Boaz, the, the hero in our story, uh, he has, and that's it, won his case and, and there's honour uh, that's given to him. And uh, we can imagine the courtroom breaking into cheers perhaps. And they ask for these wonderfully uh, large blessings uh, to come to Boaz. But little did they know how God would answer so far above and beyond their expectations. That God's plans for this family in Bethlehem would include the future king of Israel, the king after God's own heart. Little did they know uh, that Ruth uh, would be in the family line of the Lord Jesus. Little did they imagine how God was going to use this little family to, to demonstrate God's covenant faithfulness far beyond Bethlehem. And to all peoples everywhere. Now before we leave the courtroom, 
maybe a couple of uh, lessons to draw. First of all, uh, thinking about Boaz. Um, and to think about Boaz as an everyday hero of faith. You know, we think about, maybe we think about our Sunday school heroes. Uh, they're usually known for very courageous, brave acts, maybe in battle. We think of our, our Gideons and our Davids even. But here is Boaz, and he's just a wonderful, upstanding man of faith. He is a model employer who seeks God's blessing on those who work in his fields. Uh, he protects and cares uh, for those who are vulnerable as they work. He shows mercy uh, to an outsider. He extends hospitality. We see him absolutely committed uh, to this work of being a redeemer for Naomi and Ruth and honouring Ruth for her covenant loyalty in the dark days of the judges. Boaz shines bright for his faith. And isn't that a wonderful uh, call to us as the people of God, an encouragement to us uh, to be faithful in the everyday stuff of life. So much of this isn't spectacular in that sense, but called to be faithful, to honour God uh, in what uh, we're given to do. And you know we do that understanding that, that God has his plans for how he will use that. Now, we don't know what those plans are, but God does. What does he call us to do? He calls us to be faithful in the everyday stuff of life. Right? Knowing that that's uh, how he is able uh, to work in and through us. Let's also think about the sacrifice of Boaz. Because we next we meet Boaz in chapter 2. And never once do we find Boaz asking, what's in it for me? He is committed to serve, to honour, to love. Never thinking about the cost to himself. Or he thinks of it because he's willing to pay. And he stands in stark contrast to this guy who's supposed to act as the guardian redeemer. Uh, but said, no, that, that risk is too high. That cost is too high. I'm unwilling to pay. I'm unwilling uh, to care for uh, this old lady. I'm unwilling to extend a family line. I, I wonder if we recognise something of that tendency in our own hearts and lives. Perhaps to be asking, well, what's in it for me when it comes to serving in church? What, what's the cost going to be? Is this going to be too much of an inconvenience for me and my family for the things that I want to do? I think Boaz stands as a wonderful reminder of that, that call that, that, that we have, knowing how God has been so kind to us and served us, that he calls us to serve others, to care for others, and to have a heart for those who are needy. So we don't want to be like that unnamed friend, we want to be like Boaz. But then to think about the, the way um, that Boaz's story goes, and we find him in this uh, courtroom scene taking the initiative to function as uh, the Redeemer. That also helps us to think about the Gospel. And it helps us to think about God's amazing grace. Because we find uh, legal language being used in the Gospel. We find uh, the idea of uh, the judge and of judgment being used in the storyline of the Bible. And, and what we need to understand as people is that our place in God's courtroom by nature 
our standing in the, in the drama of human history, where do we find ourselves in, in God's courtroom? We would find ourselves by nature in the dock. Standing before God, the judge, guilty and charged. Guilty of pride that would live without God. Guilty of idolatry where we would make other things to be as important and more important to us than God. Guilty of rebellion where we ignore God as king and we turn our back on his law. All of those realities the Bible calls sin. So we would stand in the dock guilty as charged and we would have no case for the defense. As the Bible says, every mouth will be silenced before God the righteous judge. That's us by nature without God's intervention. And then we need to see how Boaz points us to the coming of Jesus. Because into this courtroom drama steps Jesus and Jesus is willing to become our legal representative. He is the judge. But he enters the dock and he takes our place and he takes our punishment. That there on the cross the judge is judged for us. He is condemned so that we might be forgiven and set free to enjoy peace with God. That faith in Jesus means that we receive the declaration over us that we are righteous, that we are not condemned. Jesus, the judge who has taken our place, it is ready to honour us and to take us home to where he is. And so great is his love for us, a great love that far exceeds that even of us. The story of, of Ruth and the story of Boaz, it also reminds us about how wide God's grace is. Because in God's kingdom we discover there is grace and there is a welcome for Ruth. And yes, she is from Moab and yes, she was serving other gods, but now she's come to faith in the one true God and there is grace for her. And in God's wisdom and God's mercy, she's in God in the family tree of Jesus. How is Jesus known? How was Jesus known when he came uh, to live among us? He was known as the friend of sinners. Now some people hated him for that. Religious people should just stay with religious types. And, and Jesus should just come for the good. God would just want to say that that wasn't Jesus' pattern. Others loved him for the fact that he was friend of sinners, especially those that everybody else despised. Those that were on the margins, they flocked to Jesus because they knew the way by mercy and grace. Yes, they'd be confronted about their sin, but they'd also have the prospect of forgiveness and life with God through him. And what we see in the Gospels is his deliberate kindness to the least and to the most unlikely. And it's what we see all through the Bible, it's what we see in the story of Ruth. And so as we think about that, if that's God's pattern in the Old Testament, that plan right from the beginning to extend his blessing to all the nations, and if that was the pattern of Jesus, it makes us ask some practical questions of ourselves. Who is my welcome, fathers? How is the mercy and kindness of God expressed by me to others? What is our attitude 
to the poor? What is our attitude uh, to those who come from other nations to, to live among us and to worship with us? May we be as broad as our King, as loving as King Jesus. Well, let's move from the courtroom uh, to where our story closes in the family home of Boaz and Ruth. And here the focus isn't just on the rescue of this family, the focus is now on the royal family line. In a sense, we might expect uh, chapter 4, verse 13 to be where the story would end. This is the, the happy ending. We expect, we've been uh, looking forward to seeing Boaz and Ruth be married, and then nine months later, as the drama moves on, a son is born. You know, if this was Disney, you'd cue the big song and he would get credits, but that's not where we finish. Uh, rather, what we see is, is the director of this story uh, having this wide angle lens on joy, so that we also find joy. Verse 17, and the fact that Naomi has a son. So we're, so we're back to thinking about God's provision for Naomi. And then in verse 17 and verse 22, and we're left with the good news that the nation has a king. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. Verse 13 is also significant. Because it's only the second time in the story where, where God is named as an actor. We, we see him directing, as it were, behind the scenes, guiding in providence. Uh, but here we see the Lord enabled Ruth to conceive. In chapter 1 and verse 6, the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food. And now and the Lord has come and provided a child for Ruth and for Boaz. She had been married for 10 years to Malon and no child ever here by God's grace. She is able to conceive. And again to highlight God's glory and God's grace, we find this theme throughout the story of the Bible. Women who are unable to have children, then enabled by uh, the grace of God uh, to conceive. We find it uh, back with the story of Abraham and Sarah, we find it with Rebecca and with Rachel, we find it with Hannah and we find it with Ruth. Whenever there is an act of God uh, to enable someone to conceive and give birth to a child, we know that God is going to use that child for his own purpose. And that prepares us uh, for the beginning of uh, the New Testament, for the greatest miraculous conception uh, when uh, God by the power of the Holy Spirit uh, would cause Jesus to be conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. The great Redeemer, the great King has come. But back to our story, verses 14 to 17, what we find is uh, Naomi's friends gathering in the family home and it's very much her story that's in view. We would probably expect Boaz and Ruth to be in view, but but the focus is on Naomi. Naomi who left many years before with a husband and two sons. Naomi who came back with Ruth to Bethlehem and she came back bitter, came back empty, came back feeling the Lord's hand was against her. Now her friends are saying, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. 
they can see just as Naomi can see uh, God's gracious hand at work in her life. Now in chapter 2 and 3, the focus of the, the guardian redeemer was Boaz. But did you notice, uh, as we read chapter 4, how it switched? Now the guardian redeemer in Naomi's life it is this little child who has been born, little Obed. And why is he the kinsman redeemer? Uh, because for this elderly widow, uh, having a, a son in her family was for her a source of security. Obed, when he grows up, will be able to work to provide for Naomi and for Ruth. And through Obed, the family land will be kept. So we get this wonderful story where Naomi is really uh, moved and motivated towards, at the beginning, show, uh, finding a place of rest, a home and security for Ruth. First of all, telling her to go, to go back to her own land and her own people. Uh, and then to seek that rest uh, from Boaz. And God provides for Ruth through Boaz, but also has provided for Naomi. His kindness is so much wider than Naomi could anticipate. And then we look at the, uh, the request and then the, the prayer of blessing uh, from Naomi's friends. Verse 14. Uh, may he, may this uh, child Obed, may he become famous throughout Israel. And again, God's going to answer that prayer above and beyond. They're asking as Obed becomes the grandfather in the fullness of time of King David. Just as a, in a sense, as a, as a by the by, um, God encourages our dependent prayers and God encourages us to pray big. Because our God is powerful and our God is generous and we will never out-ask our God. And so um, stories like this and prayers like this, as we see their fulfillment, encourage us, should encourage us to pray and to keep praying for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done in our church, in our city, in our families, in our world. And then verse 15. Notice the praise that Ruth is given. Your daughter-in-law who loves you and who's better to you than seven sons is given birth. And again, what's in view here is the, the covenant love, the, the faithfulness, the loyalty, the love in action of Ruth. The whole book is full of covenant faithfulness from Ruth, from Boaz, and ultimately from God himself. Verse 17, we come to a naming ceremony. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. And the name Obed means he serves. And so the natural question to ask is, who is it that Obed serves? And there are two ways, I think, uh, the, the story of Ruth invites us to answer. First of all, Obed serves God and serves God's purposes because he becomes God's agent to remove that bitterness and that emptiness from Naomi, providing a future and a security for her. And so he serves God, but he also serves Naomi by functioning as that redeemer, by being that source of security and rest. And so maybe we would expect 
wow, okay, so here's Ruth, and she's got a child, and now Naomi has a son, and she's got this kinsman, and we'd expect a happily ever after here. But we're still not done. And we're not done because uh, the author of the book of Ruth is taking us all the way from the dark days of the judges uh, to the wonderful kindness of God uh, in giving the, the king after God's own heart, King David. And so the true happily ever after doesn't come until we move beyond God providing the redeemer in the time of the judges to providing the king through David and through this royal family. And so we finish with a genealogy. That's never how we would expect a great love story to finish. But it's so important to the people of God to see God's faithfulness working through the generations, working through Ruth and Boaz to take us to David. When Matthew came to write his gospel, that's where he started, with a genealogy. Taking us uh, through this family to the coming of Jesus. In the dark times in which Jesus came to a world lost without God. That genealogy reminds the world that God is faithful, that God is working out his covenant purposes, showing covenant faithfulness, working out his plan. And so we leave the wonderful book of Ruth behind. Having celebrated in every chapter God's covenant love, God's redeeming love. Chapter 4 finished with a wedding and with a family tree. And with that, the, the covenant commitment of Ruth and Boaz with them coming together and with Obed being born. When we think about our wedding services, and we have a husband and a wife are coming to make vows before family, before friends, before church, before God. Committing for richer and for poorer, for sickness and in health, for in better and for worse till death do us part. It's a covenant relationship, binding lifelong covenant love. Now when we think about Boaz and Ruth, we learn what covenant love looks like. It looks like active service. It looks like sacrificing for the other. It looks like devotion and hard work and generosity and hospitality. And one of the things that we're left with in the book of Ruth is these wonderful figures to, to admire and to aspire towards. In our marriages, in our families, in our friendships, to be showing this love and loyalty, this active, loving service. But we don't want to stop just with the human actors. And we need to see God and His covenant faithfully. That He is committed to loving and to saving sinful, rebellious people. So committed that He will work His plans through history to give us a Redeemer who is a king, whose name is Jesus. Jesus who came to establish the new covenant with his church by giving his own body and blood for us. Do we know this love? Do we rest in the covenant love of God? Do we all know this love 
for ourselves. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for this wonderful story uh, that we've been able to reflect on uh, for the last few weeks. And we thank you for uh, the many pictures of covenant love and faithfulness that we see in the human actors. And we thank you too for the covenant faithfulness we see from you, our God. Thank you for uh, your work of providence in guiding and directing uh, so that a redeemer was found, so a king would come. Ultimately, so that King Jesus, our great redeemer, would come. Lord, help us to enjoy his love and give us the help that we need uh, to uh, reflect that love, to demonstrate that love uh, to one another. Lord, as we go into a new week, uh, we thank you that if we have faith in Jesus, we know that you go with us, that you are absolutely committed to our welfare, and uh, come what may. And so we ask that we would trust you and worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now we will close uh, singing from uh, Psalm 147, uh, the first seven verses. Let's stand to sing.